John chapter 16, um, if you would turn there. Um, before we ever started this church uh, back in the late 90s, I had a f- pastor friend of mine who gave me some, some advice. He said, he said, Brian, if you will speak to hurting people, you will always have an audience to speak to. And I want to tell you something, he was right. He was right. When we came up with the idea for this series that we've been in over the last few weeks, um, back in the summer months we were thinking about this and planning this, we knew uh, that we'd be talking to a lot of hurting people. And uh, as you know, during the fall we took a deep dive into Hebrews. And the reason I wanted to do that is because before we got into this, I wanted you to realize that everything you need is in Jesus. And that's what Hebrews is all about. But we also knew, and we sensed, you didn't even go through Christmas, that there were a lot of people that were dealing with stress and a lot of people that were dealing with depression and anxiety and worry and illnesses. And we were hearing all of that and hearing the prayer requests. And, but what we couldn't have planned for, what we had no idea uh, that what was happening was uh, from mid-November up until this coming tu- uh, Tuesday, that we as a, as a team, as a staff, as a church would be helping 27 different individual families to say goodbye to a loved one. And I heard about even more that we weren't personally involved in just in the, after the end of the past service. Matter of fact, I'll be doing a, a funeral this coming Tuesday for a longtime Westridge member, a dear friend, Bob Freeman, who passed away this past week of pancreatic cancer. And um, man, I tell you what, it, I sat in front of him two weeks ago. What a way to go out, man. What, what hope, what perspective. But last summer, we had no idea that we'd be engaging with so many hurting people and so many grieving families. But, but here's what you, you need to know. God, God knew all that. None of that, none of what you're going through today has caught him by surprise. Matter of fact, when, when Jesus was, was here on the earth physically uh, and he was talking to his disciples, his closest friends, and he was telling them that he was getting ready to leave, he's getting ready to, to die and leave them. They were, they were not only confused, but they were overwhelmed with emotion, with, with grief, with sorrow, with discouragement. They didn't know what to make of it. And in verse 33 of John 16, Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. But then he said this, he said, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will ha- go through trials. Jesus told his, his followers that in this world, you're going to go through pain. There's going to be heartbreak. There's going to be trials. There will be suffering. You're going to face it. It's inevitable. And at some point, every one of us in this room are going to go through a season of suffering. For some of you, it may seem like your whole life has been one dark season after the next. It just always seems like it's wintertime in your life, and it's hard. And even though, even though Jesus told us this life was going to be full of trials, it just still causes us to ask questions about life and about God. I mean, and we hear this all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? How could God allow innocent children to suffer? Why, why would God allow someone who, who seemed to have so much life in front of them, to, why would God allow them to be taken so suddenly from us? And honestly, with as many years as I've been a Christian, as many years as I've been a pastor, there's just still moments that I, I just don't have specific answers to some specific questions. And God doesn't always reveal those answers to us. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, Isaiah says, he's, he says, for, for, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are 
my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And even though sometimes we don't have specific answers to specific questions about the things that we go through, what we need to know is that the Bible addresses all of these issues. He addresses the issues of suffering just all throughout the pages of the book. It gives us a background on suffering. It reveals God's heart for his children while we're suffering. It points us to a God who comforts and it gives us hope. Hope for every Christian who is, who is hurting or who's in pain or who is dealing with anxiety or depression or who's just, just struggling or suffering here today. But I do want to ask and throw out this question because I, th- I want to tackle this and, and you're here today because you want to hear this. Why do Christians, why do Christians suffer? I mean, the world is full of suffering, right? We're, we're the sons and daughters of God. Why, are, why, do, why do Christians suffer? Well, here's the bottom line. It's because we live in a fallen world impacted by the curse of sin. Genesis chapter 3, you know the story. Adam and Eve willingly choose to sin against God. And that one sin ushered sin into the world. And because sin goes completely against God's nature, I mean, he can't even identify with it. And because it is the polar opposite of everything that he intended for mankind and everything that he created, it just brought some very tragic, very heavy consequences. The Bible just walks through it. It says there's going to be hostility between men and women. There was just going to be this fight over control in in a marriage about who's going to lead. Women would all of a sudden experience Uh, pain during childbirth. Men would now have to work hard to make a living and they would struggle doing it. The earth would now begin to be cursed. It would begin to, to, to decay and grow old and all of a sudden things like tornadoes and tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes would become part of, of an earth that, that was not part of God's plan. Humans would now experience physical death, which means that sickness and illness and disease would come into the world. Men and women at this moment, Adam and Eve, they lost their innocence. They, Adam and Eve realized for the first time they were naked, and now all of a sudden, shame and envy and jealousy and anxiety and worry just became part of their story. But the biggest impact was spiritual death. Sin drove a wedge between man and God. Spiritual death was all of a sudden now in the DNA of mankind. None of this was part of God's original plan for, for, for the world or for us or, or for mankind. But it impacts every one of us every single day. We're all dealing with the reality of living in a fallen world. But don't miss this, okay? As part of the curse of sin, Genesis 3 also mentions some hostility. Hostility between Satan and Eve. Hostility between Adam's offspring and Eve's offspring. What does that mean? Well... Adam and Eve's first children were Cain and Abel. And in a moment of jealousy, Cain murders Abel. And in Genesis chapter 4 verse 25, Eve says, God has given me another offspring since Cain killed Abel. His name was Seth. And if you follow the lineage of Adam and Eve's third son, Seth, it leads you right to Jesus. 
The hostility that God speaks of is between Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring here in the garden. It is between Satan and his followers and Jesus and his followers. You say, why is that so important? Because at the very fall of man, when everything became cursed and all hope seemed to be lost and darkness just swept into the world, God introduced hope into the world. He introduced the gospel. Listen, you may think God, that your pain, suffering catches God by surprise, but I want you to know he's always 10 steps ahead of us. Satan would temporarily wound Jesus with a strike to his heel, but the Bible says Jesus will ultimately destroy Satan with a fatal blow to his head. But until that happens, we experience suffering as a result of sin. And because Satan has yet to be dealt his final blow, which is coming, Christians also suffer because of the attacks of Satan. See, one of the things we need to remember is that that there's an evil force in this world that is still attempting to wreak havoc on God's people. John 10.10, Jesus says that Satan's goal for you is to kill, steal, and destroy. And for those of you who, who, who are saved, you are, you are a child of God, you've been forgiven of your sin, Satan is going to do everything within his power to get you to doubt the character of God, to question his love for you, to, to his ability to, to provide for you, and to question his goodness for you. He's going to keep putting those thoughts, whatever that looks like. This God's not good. How could he keep doing this? How could he keep allowing suffering and pain and all this and that? He's going to work overtime to get you to lose your trust and hope in God. And I want you to know, he doesn't take a break from his plan if you're grieving or if you're hurting or wounded. Matter of fact, he sees it as uh, you as a, as a wounded enemy that's primed for the kill. He is out to destroy you, to wreck you, and to drive a wedge between you and everyone you love. And so... There are times that, that, that when we suffer, it's, it's because he's attacking us. But there's also times we suffer because of just stupid decisions. Sometimes we suffer for decisions that aren't even sinful. They're just stupid. And some of you are suffering this morning because of the impact of someone else's stupidity. Truly. The great philosopher John Wayne once said, he said, life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. <laughs> All right, you write that down. You write that down. That'll serve you for the rest of your life. However, sometimes we, we can suffer because of sinful, stupid decisions or the, or the sinful, stupid decisions of other people. There are people in this room right now who are suffering through anxiety, through depression, through, through uh, discouragement. You're paralyzed with fear because someone abused you when you were young. Someone abandoned you. Someone cheated on you. Someone rejected you. You're you're suffering because of someone else's sinful, stupid decision. And so it's part of suffering. Now this next reason, it it, it may cause some of you to kind of lean your head back and go, huh, really? But hear me out on this one, okay? Sometimes we suffer because suffering is God's will for our life. You may have never heard that before, but I want to read a few things to you. First Peter 3.17, Peter writes, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than, evil, than for doing evil. First Peter 2.20, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. First Peter 4.19, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. 
If you are following the teachings of Jesus and the Bible and you are selling out and you are choosing to to live a godly life in this world, you are sold out to Jesus, chances are at some point you are going to face rejection, you're going to face ridicule or, or persecution. But when that happens, according to the Apostle Peter, you are in God's will. God looks at that moment. God looks when you're going through those moments when you're standing up for Jesus and, and standing against the world and everybody's standing against you and he says, Atta boy. Atta boy. Atta girl. Atta girl. You just dig in. You keep doing what you're doing because you just know that I'm with you. That's, that's good stuff. Plus you're in good company. Because my son Jesus was rejected, he was ridiculed and persecuted. Matter of fact, the early followers of Jesus, they suffered thousands upon thousands upon thousands of saints since that time have suffered. Many have lost their uh, their, 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 their life for the sake of following Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But we look at that and go, Why? Why would God allow his own followers to suffer for doing good, for living a godly life? I mean, I mean, suffering for sin is one thing. Suffering for, you know, stupid decisions is, is another. I get that, but why would, we, why would we have to suffer for being a follower of Jesus? Well, because God is doing something. God is strengthening our faith. You see, in Western culture, we, we look at that and we go, that just seems ridiculous. It actually seems even cruel. But listen to how those who followed Jesus in the Middle Eastern culture viewed this. Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 3, and 4, he says, not only that, he says, we we, we actually rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. James, the the half-brother of of Jesus, who many believe didn't even didn't even put his faith and trust in Jesus until after the resurrection. He writes this in James 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Paul says, listen, we, we, should, we should rejoice in our suffering. James says we should consider our troubles as an opportunity for great joy. Why? Because it's through suffering that God grows our faith. It's, it's through trials that our character is being developed. It's through, it's through pain that God is shaping our hearts to actually love other people. It's through your weaknesses and your deficiencies that you're actually becoming more complete because those things are causing you to, to, to leave finding worth in yourself and, 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 and they're causing you to lean into Jesus, to find your self-worth and your faith and your strength in him rather than you. Now, do I like this plan? No, I, I, I really don't like this plan. I'm going to be honest. I, maybe I'm just too much Western culture. I don't know. I, I, do I rejoice when I'm suffering? No. I, 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 don't, I cannot remember a morning of my life where I woke up and I said, God, I want to be in pain today. That's, that's what I want. We just don't choose that. But the one who created you, he knows better than you at what it's going to take to develop you. I mean, listen, if you've ever climbed a mountain before, you know that, that, that the trees and the plants on top of a mountain are not, they're, they're just not very tall. Matter of fact, most things don't even grow on top of big giant mountains. Why? Because the air's too thin up there. They just don't get oxygen. Oxygen. 
Where, where do the big trees grow? Where, where do the plants and, and, and vegetation, where are they at their healthiest? It's in, it's in the valleys. It's down in the, low, it's the lowlands. And the same is true with us. We, we love, I love, we, we love being on top of the mountains. We love being on top of the world, right? Nobody wants to be in valley moments. Nobody, nobody chooses the low moments of life, but it's during the low moments, during the tough times that we grow the most, that we draw closest to God and where our faith is strengthened. Several years ago, um, Amy and I became friends with this wonderful couple in our church, Todd and Michelle Harris. And, and when I first met Todd, uh, Todd had been at Pebble Brook High School, and then when I first met him, he was the head coach at, at, uh, at Woodstock High School, and now he's at Kell High School. And Michelle teaches uh, elementary school in Cobb County, and Todd has worked with both of my sons in baseball. And a few years ago, Todd introduced me to a, a young man named Jared Walker. He walked right up, and I inter- met, met him right over here. And at the time, Jared was playing baseball at McEachern High School, and Jared just has a very unique story. Um, he and I, a matter of fact, connected uh, back in early December and had lunch together and, and knowing that we were going into this series uh, and that we would be talking about the topic of suffering, I, I wanted to share Jared's story with you today. So if you would, would you watch this video? Hey, I'm uh, here this morning sitting in the hitting facility at uh, McEachern High School in Powder Springs with my man Jared Walker. And uh, Jared, I I got to know you uh, a few years ago. Uh, You started coming to Westridge, I believe back when you were in high school or maybe middle school. And, uh, but you grew up right here in Powder Springs, went to McEachern, and uh, just like every other young guy that ever started playing baseball at at a small age, you had this dream of being a being a professional baseball player. So just tell me a little bit about your story growing up in this area and, uh, and just talk a little bit about baseball. Uh, smaller town, you know, Potter Springs didn't have a lot of guys coming out, um, but great community, and it was, like I said, small, so I knew a lot of people. Um, coming into McEachern wasn't the best uh, baseball teams, but um, the, the fact that we got to build it and win a region champ and go to playoffs and experience those things here was was great, and we left, I, th- I feel like, a good legacy throughout McEachern baseball, um, and we built it up um, in a good way. So, so at what point in, in your journey with baseball do you realize or does someone tell you, hey, Jared, you're, you're, uh, you're probably going to get drafted. This is going to, your dream could be fulfilled. Right. It took, it took some time. I mean, it didn't come like that through just starting high school. I grew up in uh, like a single home house and my mom didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. So my first thing was I wasn't even thinking about going to college. Mm-hmm. You know, I just love baseball. Yeah. Um, and so for me, building that up first to know that, oh, snap, I actually have college people coming. Yeah. Then you start seeing the professional scouts. And then mm-hmm. you take a deep breath and you're like, oh, wow, like yeah. something's probably going to happen. And the day came, we were in the hospital. It was me, my brother, my mom. And I took a step out. I was on the phone with the Mariners. Mm-hmm. And I told my brother to go in and tell my mom, like, hey, I think Jared's going to go to college because that's where I was leaning towards, mm-hmm. you know, because it's stressful. Yeah. They're like, all right, well, I'm just going to go to college. So they call me, and they're like, hey, this is what we have. We really want you. The TV's on. Everybody's watching it, and my head's down. And he goes, hey, congratulations. Never mind. You just got drafted. And he said, the Dodgers just drafted you in the fifth round. And so I hung up, and I look up, and everybody's celebrating it opened up that my whole family was there giving me hugs, crying, and the emotions was just spreading around the room, and it was, it was awesome. So Jared, you have this, 
very amazing, unique story that uh, honestly involves a lot of a lot of suffering, a lot of loss, and uh, this really kind of goes back to being about five years old in kindergarten. Talk a little bit about what just what happened then. Um, we got a call one day at my granny's house. Me and my brother were sitting over there hanging out with my granny until my mom got off of work, and my mom came home and said, hey, we have news to tell you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sit on her lap, and she told us the news that my dad had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a total freak accident. He mm-hmm. slipped and fell in the shower, um, hit his head. He lived on his own in an apartment, and he got a concussion and passed away. And for me and my brother, it was really hard. Even being young, I mean, you feel exactly what you need to feel, yeah. you know, um, no matter what age you are, I feel like. And that that really hurt. Mm-hmm. And for my mom, I think she took that strength of losing my dad to a whole nother level of raising three boys mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it's not easy. So, so you're going through uh, elementary school, uh, single mom, uh, you lost your dad, and uh, at some point in your journey, uh, there's a family that enters into your story that has impacts you to this day. Talk a little bit about uh, Todd, yeah. Todd and Michelle Harris. Well, definitely. Through, through that elementary um, stage, you know, third, third grade, I had a teacher, uh, Miss Harris. She introduced me to her husband. Um, basically, I went to his games at Pebblebrook. And went, you know, I was always nervous. Yeah. Todd was an intense guy. Yeah, and basically going through that, um, it was it was tough, but it was it was cool. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing the Friday night lights and going to football uh, bas- baseball games and sitting in the dugout and but as I got to fifth grade I had Miss Miss Harris again. Mm-hmm. And I got closer with him. Mm-hmm. And growing through that we always kept a, a really close relationship through high school, Todd and them reached out to me. And they said, Hey, can we help you with anything you need? Yeah. Fam- we became a family. Yeah. Um you know, they, they really they really helped me get to where I am now because of, you know, we didn't have the financial side. We didn't have the full support. You know, my mom couldn't be at every place at the you know at that time. So having them there with me really really helped get yeah. to where I am. Yeah, Todd at the time was was the was the head baseball coach at Woodstock High School. He was, and that's how I met you. Todd brought yeah, him. Yeah, he brought me brought in. Uh, it was I want to say right before my senior year of high school. Yeah. Um, they said, hey, do you want to come to church with us on Sunday? And I said. I have a church, but I would love to check it out. Yeah. And I went, and kid you not, um, from that time forward, I used to drive to their house, park my car, get in their car, and we'd go to church together. Yeah. Um, and it's it's been awesome. I mean, I've been connected with West Ridge for almost six years, yeah. and it's been great. Talk a little bit about your mom, because I know she has been such a rock in your life, and at some point in your journey, uh, you, you mentioned the hospital, you mentioned your mom. Talk a little bit about that. So my mom was my best friend. Um, and when I say that, I, I mean it because me and her had that relationship where I could tell her any kind of problems. You know what I mean? And she could give me the advice on anything I really had to talk about. But she was she was struggling through her health. But what happened was my senior year, my brother passed away. Mm. When he passed away, he passed away of an overdose of drugs. And that, that shot the whole family. Mm. I mean, because, I mean, that was that was a brother to me that, that taught me how to be just strong. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to knock me down. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get up and fight. Yeah. I would cry on the way to a baseball game. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got to play a seven-inning game. Yeah. And I got scouts coming. But for me, I could not hold it in. Yeah. It was it was tough. And like I said, the support I had around me built me through that. My whole first year of professional baseball, she was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So every time I called her every night, I called her through the hospital. Yeah. And just everything was swelling up fluid got dialysis and it got to the point one day I was on my way to my friend's draft party because he didn't have one before and she said hey when you're done I need you to come and talk to me 
So the whole the whole time on my mind, I'm thinking, what is this going to be about? And I, I go right after her, and she says, hey, I want you to sit down. And this was probably the hardest conversation till today that I've ever had. And my mom, yeah. she sat there and said, I want you, no matter what, to be strong for your brother, for me, because I don't know how long this is going to be. And for me, it was hard. I mean, hearing your mom tell you, um, that this could be the last conversation. This could be the last time you see her, talk to her. It hurt because. <clears throat> it hurt because I knew she was suffering. But being young, you don't want to see your mom leave. And after having that conversation, it turned my life around. Like I said, I was into the Lord, but I wasn't committed completely. And. The next day, actually, I went to church with Todd, and I want to say we went and talked to you that day. You did. And you prayed over me, and honestly, from that day forward, it's helped me be a stronger man through the Lord, but through other people around me. And after that, my mom passed away 10 months exact after my brother passed away. Tell me when you made that decision in your life to receive Christ into your heart and as your Savior. It, it had to be my senior year mm-hmm. when I actually knew more about, you know, why I was going to church. Yeah. I would go to church because I knew it was the right thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it happened when I went that day and talked to you mm-hmm. and you prayed over me. Mm-hmm. And I accepted him to be mm-hmm. in my life. And so I realized at that point when it happened that, okay, there's one turning point for me. And that's putting everything into the Lord. My granny was a strong believer throughout her whole life. She's 86 yeah. till today. Yeah. Um, and she literally has been through so much more than I could imagine. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing she would always say, just trust in the Lord and give it to Him. Mm-hmm. I guess it just, God turned me around. It's in my head and it's engraved mm-hmm. and it's, it's not going nowhere else. Yeah. One of the key figures in your life that uh, has, has really, really been such a big part of your journey as your as your brother Nick, who's 14 months older than you, and uh, he's been through everything you've been through. Talk about the role he plays in your life right now. He is definitely a big brother um, through it all. But when we went through all of that together, it was it was harder. Um, he came home from college when my brother passed away, and having him still with me, and and we always say we're all we got because that's really important that we we stick together through this, and and we you know we we get through it, and I, I believe that. It's slowly, it's slowly getting where we wanted to go. We were talking uh, just recently about, you know, it's really, you know, when you go through a tough time and you're, you find yourself in, in a place you don't want to be, right. there is a purpose, and it's usually not baseball. Right. It's usually, it's, it's always going to be about Jesus or other people. Right. And uh, so, so, Jared, you talked about receiving the Lord as your Savior your senior year and, and uh, the impact that that had on you. But as you look back on your whole life, how do you see this string of God's faithfulness running through your whole life to this day? Great, great, great question because um, it really has took some time. Mm-hmm. But but like you said, from kindergarten till today, a lot of things have came. Um, but I'm, I'm still here today because of the one reason, and that's God. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why I'm still here today. Yeah. And there's a reason why he showed me the downfalls that I've been through. Mm-hmm. There's one person who, who created those things, uh-huh. you know what I mean, and, yeah. and who put me in those positions as far as who was going to make me in the long run. Yeah. And, um, and that's the Lord, yeah. and that, that, that has been very powerful. It's just crazy how, 
how awesome he can be yeah. and how great he is and what he can guide you into mm-hmm. and who he can bring into your life. Yeah. And, like life, said, and life has a bigger purpose than even baseball. Yes, always. It took people, you know, it mm-hmm. took the Harris family, but it also took a coach like Josh Burris mm-hmm. to help me out, but also having a trainer, Mike Butler. You know, all those, those three people made me who I was through high school mm-hmm. and who I am now. Think about all that you've been through and somebody could look at your life and not, you know, having ever talked to you or spent time with you. And you just realize God has been taking all of these tough moments, tragic moments in your life and putting them all together and working it out for his good and bringing glory to himself. And to hear you talk about, you know, there's a bigger purpose in all of this and, and you know, how God just keeps bringing you through all this. And so, hey, I just want you to know we're, we're proud of you. Our church is proud of you and, and uh, we'll be praying for your journey and and uh, can't wait to see where, where this is all going to land. That's a powerful story. And a couple of things I wanted to tell you about that video. One of those swings that you saw that we were filming, he actually hit it over um, the, the uh, right field wall and broke a window in the house way out there. And, uh, and uh, we didn't. We ran, uh, but no. He's a 22-year-old guy, has a great chance of making it into, the, uh, into Los Angeles this next year. One of the things we also didn't tell you is that in the, since he's been a pro baseball player, he's broken both of his feet. Um, but I wanted to show you that story, not to show you someone that's perfect. I wanted to show you someone who's just fairly young in their faith and has still just been through so much pain, so much suffering and loss, lost a dad, lost a, an older brother, lost a mom. I mean, just ups and downs of injuries and this and that. But somehow has been able to see God in all of it, 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 that God is trying to grow his faith, develop his character, produce, produce endurance and, and strength in his life that for, a, for a bigger purpose than baseball. And as we close this series out, I want to I leave all of you with some reminders, reminders of some things that we've said over the past few weeks, reminders that, that will, will help answer this one question. How do we handle these seasons of suffering when we go through them? What do we do? What do we do? On 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul writes, All praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others when we are troubled. We'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. The Apostle Paul, here's a man who, who knew suffering in every single way you can imagine. He talks about God the Father being a source of comfort, a Father who comforts us during all of our troubles. So here's how we handle seasons of suffering. We lean into his comforts. We lean into the comfort of our identity in Jesus. Some of you are deeply depressed so much that it has become your identity. So much you've, you've been battling anxiety for so long, it's just debilitating to you. Some of you have lost a child or, or someone very close to you, and it just, um, these services like this you've just are so painful. Maybe you've been abused or you've been abandoned or rejected or maybe you're suffering right now through some kind of financial loss or you're dealing with a a life-threatening illness and all of those things are extremely painful and very difficult but not one of those things defines you. It's not your identity because in the midst of all these trials and pain and the traps of suffering, it is so important that we remember 
who we are and what we've been given. I'm going to say this again to you. Paul said it a moment ago. You're a beloved son of God. You're a beloved son of God. You're a beloved daughter of God. You're a beloved daughter of God. And no one can steal that from you. No one. And this is so important. We have to we have to fight to remember this. We have to keep this in front of us at all times because here's what's at stake and here's what author Paul Tripp says. The identity we assign to ourselves shapes and defines the way we live our lives. And all of that will impact three things. Your expectations, your potential, and your actions. We were hardwired for hope. We were hardwired for hope. The way God has designed us is that vertical hope, our hope in God, would fuel a horizontal horizontal life of expectant faith and courageous actions. However, if suffering robs you of your true identity and then redefines you, then it will destroy and damage your hope, leaving you weak and timid, lacking motivation and courage. And that's not who we are. Mm Mm-mm. We're beloved sons and daughters of God. We're beloved sons and daughters of God. If your suffering has caused you to believe anything else about yourself, it is time for you today to reclaim the truth about who you are, to reclaim your identity. If your pain has pushed you into hiding, it is time for you to come out of the shadows and get back into the light and walk with courage once again. You lean into the comfort of who you are. Lean into the comfort of God's grace I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but listen, God knows we live in a broken, fallen, jacked up world. He knows Satan is coming against us with everything he has. He knows some of of you have been devastated by sinful, stupid decisions of other people, and he says to you the very same thing that he said to the Apostle Paul. He says, my grace is enough. It's sufficient. It's more than you'll need. I may not take away your pain, but when you're weak, I promise I'll be strong in your life. You lean into your grace. You lean into the comfort of God's presence. God has not given us a more beautiful, sweeter gift than the gift of himself. He is the gift that changes everything. Whether you know or not, he is the gift that every sufferer needs. During the darkest years of of King David's life in the Old Testament, here's what he writes in Psalm 27. He said, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He says, the Lord is the strength hold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This was very personal to David. The presence of the Lord was so personal. He uses that word my with passion. He's my light. He's my salvation. He's my stronghold. David is looking to the only place he can, he can find hope. It's in the Lord's presence. And David says, it's your presence, Lord, that will light my way through this darkness. It's your presence that will give me hope when, when, when I'm just... When evil's coming against me, it's your presence that provides a refuge, Lord, when I have nowhere else to turn. See, our hope is not found in understanding why God would allow us to suffer. Our hope is found in the faithful presence of God who is with us while we're suffering. We've got to lean into the comfort of God's concern. Paul Richardson just knocked it out of the park last week. I'm not even going to try to repeat it, but I will just tell you this. I'm going to remind you. You take all your anxieties, you take all your fears, your doubts, your concerns, your, your, your suffering, and what do you do with it? You just cast it on God. You cast it on Jesus because why? He cares for you. Stop carrying it all yourself. Throw it on him. He cares for you. And then we lean into the comfort of other people. You, you look throughout Scripture and we're reminded that God has not called us to walk through life alone. We need each other. 
We should not be afraid or ashamed of our frailty. God's not disgusted with us by the lack of our strength. Matter of fact, he, he's actually drawn towards it. And one of the things that he provides during moments of, of imperfection and frailty and weakness is the comfort of his people. One of the reasons I wanted to, to show you Jared's story is not to so much even highlight the loss in his life, but to, but to show you the people who have walked through his life with him. Just at strategic moments in elementary school, a teacher, her husband, a little league coach, a trainer. I mean, on and on. He could have kept talking. A brother. Bringing him here to Westridge. He's in a Bible study with me now and my son Taylor and other pro athletes. I mean, it's, it's been amazing. You watch God, God just weaving people in and out of his life. We're, we're called to, to carry each other's burdens, to love one another, to help one another, to grieve with one another to celebrate life with one another. It's the comfort of God's people. That's why we talk so much here about being in a group. See, suffering is inevitable. Jesus said you will suffer. It is part of God's will for our lives. But don't try to be noble and suffer alone. This church right here that you're sitting in, I don't know if this is your first time here, if you've been here for a few times, or you've been here for many years. This church is a safe place for you to be honest about your pain and suffering. You belong here. You belong here. You're not too messy for us. You're not too much of a burden for us. Every sufferer needs brothers and sisters who will hold up their arms when they just can't lift them anymore and walk with them. Every, every, every sufferer needs brothers and sisters who will fight a spiritual battle for them when they're just too weak to fight alone. And so that's when we have to, we have to lean into the comfort of God's people. We were designed to need each other. And then finally, we just... We've got to lean into the comfort of God's purpose. I want to make a statement to you here today. Don't forget this. There is a purpose for your suffering. There's a purpose for your suffering. You may not have specific answers to your specific questions. You, you, your, your situation that you're in right now today or that you may go into, it will always start bringing questions that begin with the word why. And you may not get a specific answer. But there is a purpose for why God allows hardship and pain and suffering into the lives of his children. I talked about how we live in a fallen world, how, how God is using suffering to, 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 to give us strength and to, and to give us courage and endurance and growth. And, but you also need to know that he is breaking down our reliance on ourselves so that we'll rely on him. He's getting rid of our idols. He's getting rid of our self-righteousness. He's, he is just he's getting the rough edges off. You say, Why? It's the ultimate reason why we go through suffering. Because he's preparing you for something greater. He's preparing you for something greater. You say, what does that look like? God is liberating you from the self-centered burden of living for yourself so that you can be free to live for him. He is helping you to realize that your purpose in this life as a follower of Jesus is so much bigger than just getting an education, starting a career, making a lot of money, trying to make a name for yourself and trying to accumulate as much stuff as possible in this one life. He's actually calling every one of us to be part of what he's doing in, in, in the lives of those around us and those who are all over the world. You say, what is he doing? He is fixing what was broken in the garden He sent his son Jesus to pay 
the price for sin that it demanded. And now he is offering forgiveness and reconciliation and salvation to every single person that is on this earth. Every man, every woman, every student, every child from every nation, from every race. God is on a rescue mission. And he knows that we don't naturally care to make personal sacrifice to see his purposes fulfilled. And he also knows that we need a lot of training, right? And so God is using all of this suffering to make us willing, to make us ready to be part of his mission. And he knows exactly what it's going to take for us to be able to reach a lost world with the message of Jesus. So here's what he's doing. He's making us more compassionate. And he's making us more sympathetic. And he's making guys like me more tender. And he's making you more generous. And he's making you more loving. And he's making you more understanding. And he's making you more grace-filled. And he's making you so that you will bring comfort to those around us and around you that are suffering so that you can be a light that leads them out of the darkness into the presence of Jesus so they can receive salvation. He's using all of this suffering and all of this pain for good. None of it's being wasted. He's not wasting one moment of your pain, one moment of your suffering. It all has meaning and purpose. I want to take you back to the words of Jesus that we started off with because I kind of left you without the hope that goes with the verse. Because when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he told them, he said, you're going to have a lot of problems. He said, I've said these things to you that you that in me you may have peace. He said, in the world you, you will have tribula- uh, tribulation and good thing he didn't walk, drop the mic and walk away. He said, take heart. Be courageous. Be of good cheer, he says, because I have overcome the world. When you are struggling with stress and depression, you don't let that define you. You're a beloved son and daughter of God. When, when, when you are filled with fear and when worry and anxiety is just overwhelming you, you take it and you throw it on Jesus. You, you cast it on him because he cares for you. When you feel abandoned and alone, you take comfort in his presence. You let his presence guide you through the darkest seasons of your life. When you lose someone that you just dearly loved, don't lose heart. Because Jesus has not only overcome sin, but he's also overcome death. He's overcome the world. And God is using all of this suffering in your life so that you may be able to fulfill a purpose and a mission for your life that is more fulfilling and more rewarding than anything you could come up with, than anything that you could dream of. And you need to know it's all about Jesus. And it's all about pointing others to a hope that is greater than every temporary hope that they may be truly like trying to lean into. It's about pointing them to a father who is preparing a place for all of us where there's going to be no more pain, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more worry, no more discouragement, and no more suffering, no more death. But you cannot lose this one truth. If you lose this one truth, this is where you begin to lose hope. He's good. He's good and he's up to good things. He's a good dad. You may not feel it at the moment, but it doesn't change. It, his, he, he can't help but being good. It's central to his character. He's good. And he loves you more than you know. So you don't let the enemy 
lie to you about the goodness of the Father. You don't let the curse of sin, this fallen world that we live in, don't let it question, don't let it cause you to question his goodness. He can handle your questions, but don't let it grow root in your heart so it makes you shrink back, makes you start hiding, makes you become less than who you are, makes you fall away, makes you become bitter. Mm -mm, Don't do that. He is doing greater things in your life than you know. He's good. He's good. He's good. And he has a purpose for you and a purpose for your suffering. And it's greater than you can ever imagine. I want us to stand and we're going to sing. And I want you to lean into that right now. You may be hurting, you may be struggling, you may be suffering here today. Just know that he's with you. He sees you, he knows you, and he's good and he's working in your life right now to do things that you wouldn't choose, you wouldn't sign up for. But he knows and he loves you and he's got great things for you.